yeah, for me, it's about that perspective thing. You know, there's there's greater things at play than work as well. So that perspective of there's bigger things outside of work that that make a bigger difference. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Joe Dodds and I started this show back in 2016 to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean how they focus on productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience to enable them to do more of the stuff that they want to do and less of the stuff that they don't. After 241 shows, I've taken a pause from doing new interviews to reshare previous interviews. They were too good to not revisit. So please do bear in mind that this podcast might refer to events from the past as current or in the future. But rest assured that the stories, tips and advice shared by my guests continues to be pure gold. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodds and I am co-presenter and today Joe is interviewing Simon Heddo of Rethink Productivity. Simon and Joe met a few years ago via LinkedIn and actually met for coffee in real life. They've recently reconnected and Joe was a guest on Simon's podcast, so she took the opportunity to invite him to us. Simon is the founder and CEO of Rethink Productivity. His pioneering methods allow businesses to drive efficiency, boost productivity and optimise budgets. For nearly a decade, Rethink has been transforming the way some of the world's biggest companies operate, refining their processes, reviewing their systems, analysing change impact and ensuring they're operating at maximum efficiency and productivity levels. Back to the studio. Today, I'm talking to Simon Heddo of Rethink Productivity. Welcome, Simon. Thanks for joining me. Hi. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Lovely. And I spoke to you the other day about uh, on your podcast. So we're, we're feeling like we're doing this every week at the moment. So we'll have to think of a new plan for next week. <laughs> yeah, ret- returning the favourite would be vlogging or something next week. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so start by telling us who you are, what you do and where you do it. Yeah. So my name's Simon Heddo. I founded Rethink Productivity. Oh, wait nine years ago even next month so I don't even know how old we are um, and we, we help lots of organizations in all different sectors retail hospitality understand how long things take look at opportunities for them to either save some money or free up time to serve more customers or generate more revenue using a whole different range of techniques um, and I kind of got into that as you get into all these types of things by default when I worked at Boots I used to run the productivity department and that was the kind of stuff I did there and then had the opportunity to set up my own company uh, with my wife and now she works full-time as well and uh, yeah moved it forward from there so we do some uh, really interesting things which I'm sure we can touch on uh, with some really interesting people. Lovely and great to get a a fellow uh, retailer on the on the show that's uh, as you know my original background too although not boots I was more supermarkets. (laughs) Yeah yeah Uh boots and DIY I am there's a Oh, I did DIY. You, you weren't BQ, were you? No, you were home-based. No, no, I wasn't even home-based. I was Focus, oh. Do It All, Focus, Do It All. What We had that many names in that many Yeah, years. yeah, so yeah. What, for those oh. that remember it, um, Morris the Monster at Do It All and all that kind of stuff through to Focus DIY. 
Yes, yeah, oh, brilliant. Yeah, so I was B and Q uh, at one stage, um, uh, along with a few other random uh, sojourns into other <laughs> other sectors and so on. <laughs> so, um, so did you always plan to start a business? Did you think when you were younger that 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 would come, or or did it sort of come out of of a, an opportunity? Tell us a bit more about that. You know what? It's one of those things that, in the back of my mind, I kind of always knew I'd love to do it, or thought I'd love to do it. Uh-huh. Never really thought I'd get the opportunity to do it, probably more financially because of the risk factor. Yeah. And, you know, they've got to pay a mortgage, you've got to pay the bills, got to make sure the kids have got shoes and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so it was something that I'd probably pushed away in the back of my mind and thought, you know, it's one of those pipe dreams, love to do it, not many people get the chance, I'll just carry on in corporate life. And for those of you that have worked in corporate life, there's lots of stuff you have to think about, but there's also lots of stuff. So national insurance, all that stuff that kind of gets done for you when you get your paycheck. You don't consciously consider, you just assume that people are taking out the right amount and it's all as it should be. So they're always, when I started to think about it more seriously, were barriers, if you like, of, well, somebody's got to sort my VAT out, somebody's got to sort their national insurance out. Things that felt big, but only because I didn't really know anything about them mm-hmm. because it was all done for me. Um, so worked at Boots for kind of five, six years, came an opportunity, a moment in time really of, right, I can leave Boots, can have a go, probably got six months worth of, of money to tide me over to make this a, a success or not. And it, it was one of those, I suppose, sliding doors for those of you that have seen the film mm-hmm. moments of, do you go left or do you go right? Thought, what's the worst that can happen? I kind of backed myself that I knew enough people to make that call of doom of, hey, guess what? It's not kind of working out. Have you got any any jobs going? <laughs> yeah. And I think I kind of do this probably a lot in life. I'd rather have lived with the regret of doing it and failed than the thought of what might have been. Yeah, yeah. So gave it gave it a go. First couple of months, probably spent more time playing on the PlayStation than, than doing any work because... <laughs> You write out to people and say, hey, remember me? This is what I'm doing. If you want a conversation, great. You update all your LinkedIn and all that stuff. And then the kind of dawn of realization comes of, well, the phone's not ringing. Nobody's really inquiring through the website. What do I do? So first time in my life, really, that I had to accept the fact that I couldn't do any more. So each day I'd do as much as I could, then chill out, relax, and then, as ever with these things, network is is the power. Uh, a guy I'd worked with uh, in previous life at Focus called me up and said, I think this is what you're doing right. Come and have a chat. Um, and to be honest, it snowballed from there. So we've been busy ever since. And like I said, that's nine years ago next month. Um, mm. lot, lockdown's been a bit quieter, but certainly still some stuff to do. Mm. So it, it, was an, it was an interesting time. I learned a lot about risk taking and calculated risks and and different things all those payroll things you have to think about accountants stuff that consciously you've never corporate world had to consider yeah but I wouldn't I wouldn't change it so a cu- couple of things firstly I was at the sliding doors premiere in the UK because that was one of my jobs at one stage I worked for UCI cinemas <laughs> so wow. I was this far from Gwyneth Paltrow and uh, I remember embarrassing myself a tad at the uh, after show party because the producer has a um uh, a cameo role in the 
in the actual show and uh, he was there and, and I sort of said oh hello and he said hello and he said well come and have a chat and I was like no no I can't and he was like what I was going because I look like a groupie there and I look like I'm trying to talk to you because you're in the film and, and he was like really and I was like yeah I don't think I should talk to you and we were having this like real banter and I don't think I even really had a proper conversation with him in the end because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't want to look like a groupie um so it's yeah that's of, quite cool <laughs> it's one of those films isn't it that you can, I'm sure everybody can have a parallel in their life where they've turned left or right and, yes, yeah. you know, think what might have happened the other way or, or not. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and then the second bit is thinking about, it's interesting, you, you sort of talk to people who, who start their own business and, and some people will say, oh, you know, I couldn't work for someone else or I hated corporate life and this was the way and, you know, risk taking was the thing and everything else. You sound a bit like me in that I, um, didn't ever imagine it was going to happen. Uh, he, my dad had a business, so I sort of, and he died when I was 19. So I don't think I sort of ever got to the stage of feeling confident that I was going to do it myself. I think if he'd have been around, maybe I would have done, but you know, financially, all the stuff that you said about security and stuff. But I'd now say that I don't think I could work for anyone else again. Uh, have you got to that stage as well? I mean, lots of people say that all along. I didn't think that, you know, it, I didn't think it was the case to begin with. I look back and think, I probably wasn't very good at working for other people. <laughs> <laughs> all along anyway but have you changed your attitude to it do you think um it's a good question i i like to think that and i look back on my retail career as a good grounding mm. and all the companies i worked with so focus was poles apart culturally from boots they were completely opposite ends of the spectrum and i i've got a lot of respect for all the people i work with in those organizations and i think actually without having worked in both of those organizations i wouldn't have been able to start the business I think it, it gave me a lot of grounding. It certainly taught me a lot of how to manage stakeholders, deal with people, have a perspective on things. And and like you, retailers know retailers and you know if someone's worked in retail and been there on the till on a Saturday when they were 15, 16, they've put stock out, they've managed people, they've hired people, fired people. You, you know that because that's the kind of stuff you, can, you can't, with the nicest respect, blag. Uh, people retailers know retailers and they like speaking to to retailers or hospitality or, or coffee shops etc so i've got a lot of respect for that could i work for somebody else every time we work with a client in effect we are so yes i probably could would it be probably not but actually everybody we work with i see us as working with and for them so it's kind of just part of what we do yeah, yeah. It's interesting, uh, the retail thing. I, I I, think, I don't know about when you went into it, but it, it always used to be seen as the sort of second class thing to do if you didn't go to university and things like that. Um, I think that's changed a lot now. But at the, at the time, I always used to say to people, um, you know, it's it's been such a great grounding you know the supermarkets particularly but i think retail generally you know the the big companies invest in everything don't they when the next big thing comes out the you know i, I specialize in employee engagement now and I, I remember um doing stuff with engage for success in 2012 and it was all like the next big thing and i'm thinking well b&q absolutely focused on employee engagement and the gallup q12 and everything else in in 1999 you know they just threw everything at it and that's how i felt a lot in my career that we we always got the chance to to learn all this new stuff and as you say I, I really feel like it's it stood me in good stead and I'm not sure that all sectors do that in the same way I think interestingly I'm not really sure why but yeah I think I was one of five in my year at sixth form that didn't go to university mm. um and it 
in reflection, it, it was geared for you to do your A-levels uh, and go to university. That, that is all it was geared for. So you went on the, we went to Nottingham Trent, you went on the day trip to university. It was all about UCAS. It was all about careers fairs. It was all about sitting down with your tutors and saying, uh, what, what are the courses you're thinking about? What are your grades? Where do you go? Um, worst bit of advice I ever got was at sixth form where they suggested I did American studies. I have no idea what American <laughs> studies is. Um, and being a slightly probably too confident 18-year-old completely dismissed that. So I felt at the time it was up to me to make my own path if I wasn't going. So mm. edging my bets, I applied um, because you were kind of that was the what you had to do you had to fill in the form and find some places to go and some courses to go on but at, at the time do it all were taking applications for the boots do it all management training course yeah so signal my intent to do that at the time i was working you know weekends and evenings I had to go on an assessment day and got on and i was i think i was the youngest by quite a few years so i was kind of 18 straight out of college one day into suit and this training course the next uh, and didn't look back they were brilliant because it was at the time supported by boots because they own do it all we went on uh, practical training techniques course we went on people management skills we had a week's residential in evesham on a coaching for performance um course which i we spent a lot of it on the tennis course throwing tennis balls at each other which was part of the course i hasten to say <laughs> um, but you, you literally couldn't buy that stuff and again having it at a relatively early age really shapes your thinking and, and how you deal with people so mm. yeah when I told people I wasn't going to, to uni I was doing a management training course it was at the time when apprentices were dead and all that kind of stuff people didn't really know what to say it was kind of like no. oh, right so, so you're gonna go work in retail and it's like yeah I'm gonna go and work in a shop <laughs> I, I like doing it I, yeah. I, I liked doing it it was um it's tough long hours um your learning curve's very steep but if you get it right you can succeed very quickly yeah in a position in a financial way you know whatever way is important to you so uh yeah Yeah. it was it was an interesting time and and i think it's slightly swinging now and at at that time university was free other than your accommodation so there wasn't all the course costs i think a a lot of people i know at the time went because it was the thing to do yeah the financial risk was lower because parents had to find money for accommodation and food, not the course. Mm. And if you weren't sure, you could go for a couple of years and then, you know what, you do another course afterwards or ironically, you go and work in a shop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's interesting, so much the same for me. I think all of my uh, peers, cohort, you know, my sort of group of friends and most of my class did the university thing. I, I was thought I was going to as well. And I remember going to a party when we were like, I don't know, maybe 20, nearly 21, and somebody sitting down and giving me a really like sad look and going, so, so how's Safeway? You know, like, <laughs> you poor thing. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, I've been a manager, an HR manager for two, two years. I'm earning loads more than you'll earn as a graduate when you come out of university. And, uh, and so I don't regret it, you know, one job sort of thing. But uh, clearly his view was that I'd, you know, taken the terrible route. <laughs> yeah, <I'd- laughs> And, and don't get me wrong, there's difficult times in that when all your mates are back in the summer and they've got three months off and they're going out every night and every day and you can't go because you're working. So there, yeah, there's compromises. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the other way is, you know, I, I used to go and visit some of my mates at weekends and I'd drive down because I had a car and we'd go out and they'd be like, oh, I've got £10 or you know, <laughs> and you'd yeah. be thinking, well, actually, greatest respect, 
we can do what we want to a degree. So it, it it's it's like all of life, isn't it? There's there's times when you your choices mean you're just making different sacrifices. Yes, yeah. So I've had a couple of um, people on the show uh, who have worked with their, or do still work with their wife, partner. Has that been something that you've, you've sort of developed? Uh, you said, I think you said that she works full-time now with you, so it sounds like you perhaps yeah. did that sort of gradually. Have you got any tips for people working with partners? Because, I, I mean, I can't imagine doing that myself at all. <laughs> But um, it, it works for lots of people. And uh, <laughs> what's, you know, what's your experience? So Sue, my wife, she had a, she'll tell you she had a day job and a, an evening job. So she, she used to work full-time employed um, in customer experience. And then over time, as we got busier, she ended up doing more evenings and, and weekends because she, she's got a whole bunch of skill sets that I haven't got. She's great at kind of seeing the, pulling the story together with the mm. data in, in a way that people can understand in a, a background kind of pharmacy and, and retail. So she, she was getting more and more involved and in effect it got to the point of we're going to have to make a call of do we bring somebody else in to do that or actually do you want to do it and you give up your job and, and come in. It mm. um, was, was interesting, I'd say, at the start. Um, <laughs> uh, more so for probably for me because I... I at that point was doing pretty much everything. So I was looking after the analysts, I was doing the accounts, I was doing the marketing, I was doing the selling, I was doing the project implementation, doing the the um, presentations with some help from kind of Sue as and when she could fit in. So mm. to then start to give some of that away is one a challenge. And because we have, we've been, how old were we then? Five years old probably. Then to get some questions of, oh, why, why do we do the accounts this way? I think you know, there's some stuff we could make it quicker or simpler, or actually I want to do it a different way. Mm. You've got to make sure your defences don't go up straight away. Yeah. Because the stock response is, well, I've been busy and that's how I've always done it. And that's, you know, (laughs) just as good as we can make it kind of thing. So Yeah. yeah, And we're much more likely to say that to our partners as well, aren't we? If it was an employee that we didn't know so well, we might sort of think twice before making it so, you know, blunt. But uh, when we know people really well, we often are more direct than we perhaps ought to be yeah. aren't we yeah so yeah. don't get me wrong there were there were some kind of moments of but i don't see what's wrong with it and you just want to change everything <laughs> don't get me wrong yeah. Yeah. Um, but actually we found a really nice way of working we've kind of split up i do more of the tech stuff and the we don't really class it selling but projecty bit sued us more of the management of the analysis from the projects and the presentation so we i think what we learned quite quickly is in a rounded way, we've got the right skills. It was just mm. making sure we weren't busy fools. And we tried a couple of different ways of doing it and we found the nice rhythm and routine. That the, I think the key watch outs for me are one, how do you stop it spilling over into talking about work at tea? Yeah, I was just about to ask you that. <laughs> uh, and all that kind of, because it, it becomes a yeah. natural thing. You know, the kids are out and we're sat having tea and it's like, oh yeah, we're speaking to so-and-so tomorrow. Or how's that presentation coming along? Or did yeah. we have a look at that data? So there is a temptation, it just fills more time yeah and i think too if it it's agreeing how to amicably disagree without again it it rocking over into well uh, of course it's gone wrong because that's not the way i said it we wanted it we wanted it to go (laughs) yeah but actually it's been it's been fine there was a a bit of everybody finding their feet at the start um and that was probably me being more precious than i need to do rather than anything else but once you kind of understand that everybody's pulling the right direction in same direction Mm. 
yeah, it, it's better. The business has grown. I've had more capacity to do stuff. The presentations and the data insight have got much better. So when you look at it that way, so all the all the things are positive, other than me being a bit grumpy about people asking why we did things that way. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, we won't, we won't let her listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, so we're recording this uh, in the middle of June uh, to go out towards the end of June, uh, and things we were just saying before we came live that uh, things are starting to lift a bit with lockdown, but not sort of sufficiently that it feels very clear. So we were almost saying that it's almost worse than than the, the sort of first 10 weeks when, when we knew very clearly that we just couldn't go out. Have you learned anything through this period? Are you going to do things differently in the business? I guess it's slightly different for you because you were in the same house together, still running the business, which a lot of people haven't been. Yeah, I think we've, we've reflected on lots of things. So is our messaging right? Does the website look okay? What's our marketing, marketing content? So that, that's been helpful f- to have some time to think rather than just a list of stuff to do. Mm. Um, in saying that, we've also cleared a load of stuff that was on the to-do list, all the bitty stuff that when you get busy doesn't seem as important and I suppose questioned, questioned some of that. So for us, it was making sure we're ready when our clients are ready, all that kind of, you hear it a lot, don't you? Come mm. back stronger and all those kind of phrases. Making sure that was in place. We've got five uh, analysts that are employed. So, again, making sure we kept in touch with those because there's no work for them. So, they were part of the furlough scheme. So, making sure we were in touch with them. We provided some training for them as well because that's about the only thing you can do in a, a furloughed world. But also checking in regularly. You know, how are they feeling? Some of them have got family, some of them haven't. Uh, and they're all being different places. Some are a lot older than others. Uh, some are starting on the journey, etc. So it was making sure we keep that sense of community, keeping them informed of what we're thinking, asking for their feedback. So yeah, managing quite a few things, but primarily it's been getting the to-do list to be relatively empty for when we start back and making mm. sure we've not wasted the time. I think I'd hate to look back and think, actually, I wasted that. We could have done this. I could have finished that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah 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 it's an inter- interesting door been an interesting time yes yeah so so what do your days look like i mean are you working together in the same room are you in different parts of the house are you um yeah. do you have set working hours how, how does that all play out yeah we'll come back to working hours um so in, <laughs> in terms of setup yeah we've got kind of an office i've got one side sue's got the other so we we may be in the same room at times sometimes if we've got important calls and stuff we may go into a, a different room just so you know the dog doesn't come in or if the postman knocks on the door you know who's kind of mm. gonna go and sort it out sometimes i'll be out with a client sometimes sue will be out with a client sometimes we'll be out with the, the same client so it, there's a whole varied varied way if you like of working but typically when we're at home which is where we're all based um we yeah we work in the same office which is fine and it it's quite helpful because it's easy to ask that quick question and get a response rather than you know having to send someone an email or or what have you um so, so that's that's the way that works and that's fine working hours is always a tricky one i i've tended to find my working hours are probably longer now than when i was employed um, yeah because it's on you and it's your sense of pride or deliverable or, or quality. And the first couple of years when we started to get really busy, yeah, it, it was difficult not to just go back to the laptop and turn it on and do another hour or get pulled into an hour at the weekend, which turns into half a day or 
push back on a client because you know it's going to be tricky but on the other hand you don't want to kind of upset them so you end up doing it in weekends and evenings so that 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 was a real challenge I think the last 12 to 18 months we've managed that better probably since Sue's been on board and we the team's got bigger but um yeah if I'm not careful my default default is to go and put the laptop on Mm-hmm. And what about t- sort of tools and, and processes for managing a, a devolved team? I mean, it's obviously really relevant for, for many people now, but it's something that you've been doing for you know quite a period of time with your analysts. How do you do that? So we, we use simple things, Google Meets, uh, Hangouts to keep in touch. So we'll have regular updates uh, around projects, what's coming up, what's in the plan. We'll then have periodic face-to-faces so some social stuff so we did the last time we were together before lockdown there was a new it's called flight club that's opened in birmingham i think there's a couple around there's one in manchester one in london so we we did some work stuff and then went for a meal and all had a laugh playing darts and they video it and send you the video it's it's fun <laughs> so trying to make sure there's more than just work talk and again as i said we've got a diverse mix of, of age profiles in the team so it's trying to find something that caters for everybody and and is fun yeah um, we use things like hey space so where we've got a structure project uh, deadlines we'll set up that in hey space and then everybody using that um project can log in and see where we're at see the progress see where their bits are and again we'll kind of follow all that up in weekly calls progress updates with the various people involved yeah, uh, I think that's probably our biggest tool and, and Google Drive is our kind of go-to. So making sure that people have got access to the right things, we're all working on the right versions of documents or if we're working between the same document, we know who's got the kind of master. So mm. those those are our primary bits. I think they all, people prefer face-to-face. I don't think you can get away from that. There's You can read a lot more about people in being with them in the same room. So yeah, we're, we're conscious that there'll be some quite big chunks of time we don't actually physically see the people so it's important that we do kind of a half year update a full year update and then wherever we can we get some events go we've been to the comedy club in um, London a couple of times just stuff like that to keep just to get people in the same room yes yeah so you work with large companies around productivity improving Mm -hmm. it how much pressure do you feel to to make sure that your system and processes and the way that you operate as a business reflects what you're <laughs> helping other people with? Yeah, there's the some ironies at times, I'm sure there is. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you've kind of got to challenge yourself. So we've done stuff like developed our own apps to capture the, the work study data because we've used others and that process of analysing it and streamlining it wasn't helpful. So in effect, it made our projects bigger and more bulky rather than streamline so mm. we've done some stuff like that we've looked at how we kind of scope projects how we plan projects the effort that goes in from our side to understand before you can do all those you know costing and, and effort pieces so yeah we're continually looking at innovative ways to do stuff differently so we've got the guys talked about before we're doing some training during the lockdown so they can now analyze videos so if we've got a client that's got a process in Japan of a car manufacturing plant, they can send us the video and we can do the anal- the analysis there rather than fly to Japan. Mm. So, so there's always different things coming through. Uh, the industry we work in is industrial engineering. People call it work, study, time and motion. Ironically, it's quite an old industry with quite a 
retrospective view. So trying to do stuff like building apps. We've just put a, an accreditation course online blows people's minds because they're used to clipboard stopwatches, <laughs> black and white videos. So it's not hard to innovate in our industry, but it takes some effort to get everybody else in the industry on board because they're just not used to it. Even though you may go out to a client and they're innovators in their area in tech. So, you know, we work with people that are using robot vacuum cleaners, nano cleaning technology, and that kind of stuff's right at the forefront of, you know, blowing people's mind in terms of innovation. Yeah. That's that's so interesting to hear as you started that that section saying, you know, that it's quite, as you say, retrospective and, and still quite, I guess, quite old fashioned from what you said, but, you know, yeah. clipboards and <laughs> stopwatches yeah. and so on. And yet, as you say, the, I suppose the sort of average person, if asked to talk about improving productivity in manufacturing, they, they would be expecting it to be all about, as you said, robots and, and technology and, and not imagining that some of the, I suppose, the principles haven't ever changed. It's just the tools that you're using, I guess. Yeah, the, tool, the tools we use to capture, that's that's clearly one of the areas where we've got some advantage having our own and can do some neat things in it. But also the, the application of recommendations. So people think about, and it's probably going to become, unfortunately, even more prevalent as we move forward, people losing jobs. So if I, if I am more productive, therefore I'll need less people what we talk about is opportunity. So it gives you an opportunity to, yes, potentially need less people, therefore you save money. But actually, could you not process more? Could you not serve more customers? Could you not do more outbound work? So we we like to identify opportunity. Now, how companies choose to then shape that opportunity is a company-by-company choice. Yeah. But it's very easy to go down the kind of, everybody's going to lose their job route and be, replaced by machines i think um there, there's some tasks that that will uh, mm-hmm. so certainly those kind of cleaning pieces where you'll be able to speed up process or have better chemicals that last longer or automate robot vacuum cleaners is the example yeah um, but actually it's then what what do i do with that opportunity yeah and i think yeah. that that makes a big difference between the companies that drive for growth and success and those that are just looking for the next cost-cutting opportunity yeah it's also interesting just in terms of the sort of um national or global discussion about those things in that there is a a a strong narrative about you know robots are going to come in and jobs will go and yet we also at the same time talk about how many of the jobs in the future don't exist yet and i talk on this podcast all the time about people who i speak to and you know you're a great example of it you know you didn't grow up planning to do what you do because firstly, you probably didn't know it existed yeah. um, and it didn't exist in the way that it does now, as you've just described. But it's interesting how, how we hold two opposing views of the world quite often, don't we? Which is that, that um, you know, the jobs of the future, we don't know what they're going to be at the moment, but also there aren't going to be any jobs because we're getting rid of them all and replacing the ro- robots. <laughs> yeah, really, and yeah. There's, for me, there's always going to be a place for, for people. Yeah. And I think you're right, they, they will be doing things we've not even consciously thought about now. Um, but actually, can I envisage a time where I walk down the high street and it's all robots? To be honest, I'd probably just be shopping online then because what, what's the difference? Mm. That There is that element of, and, and people talk about it a lot, and it, it will go to a degree back to this. What, what makes you different? What's your theatre proposition? What's your service proposition? What's the value add that having people there um, make? Mm. Now, if I can do that through robots... 
then you know that would be amazing but you're still not that interaction you know like the chat we're having now it'd be very binary I think Mm -hmm. but you know is there a place in um, retail let's say where everybody turns the lights off every night an army of robot vacuum cleaners come out and mop the floor mop the floor then go back and polish the floor absolutely because that's freeing up time to do more value-adding stuff Mm. yeah yeah Interesting. And I, and I suppose, you know, we're, we're in that moment because of, uh, you know, the virus and the lockdown and everything else where some of this stuff will get accelerated. I mean, you just talked about walking down the high street and, you know, I, I always shop to like a lot online anyway, because I don't really like shopping and I'm not feeling any great impulsion to go out to the high street at the moment, even though it all opened yeah. in our town this week. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it, how it all develops. Yeah. From, I don't, I don't, um, or I hope, I would say I don't, I hope that we don't automate things for the sake of it. I think mm. we should automate things that are behind the scenes that are clearly uh, benefits in those areas where it improves quality, improves safety, which would be a big thing moving mm. forward, I think, or frees up people time. Automation for the sake of automation, I think is probably causes you problems further downstream. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to be fair, when we went into lockdown, a lot of the increase in activity was all around online you know the, the zoom calls and the, the family quizzes and, and all that yep. sort of stuff because people need that connection and they just find a route to do it don't know and uh, it doesn't sort of um bear thinking about what this would have been like 50 years ago i don't know how it would have panned yeah. out but uh, yeah, innovation is always driven in times of darkness isn't it i think mm. is the, the reality world wars clearly we've seen in pandemic the mm. rule book goes out the window and you can get stuff done we we were talking to a company and they'd managed to get their online proposition and then delivery proposition up and running in two days. Right. Yeah. They've been thinking about it for the last like six years. So it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's all, it's, it's all possible. Well, there's a will. Yeah. And also actually taking us right back to the beginning of the conversation talking about starting a business, but holding back because of worries about security or, you know, lack of confidence or whatever. Some of those things that have happened now have, as you say, been driven by the circumstances. You know, my husband's company, I've always been really overly um, interested in um, security online and, and stopping them doing things at home because of it and, you know, in IT and all that sort of stuff. And, and they're now talking about not opening some of their offices up ever and having people work from home, you know, for most of the time. And, and I could, if you'd have told me six months ago that's what they were going to do, I would never have believed it because that wasn't their culture. And uh, so it's interesting, you know, that, that something's just changed and they've changed their view Almost, you know, 180 degrees, something. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm. So, what about um, learning and improving yourself and thinking about, you know, you are at the sort of forefront of a lot of, of development, um, and you've already talked about providing training for your team during mm-hmm. um, the times of, of furlough. What, what sort of things do you do to keep yourself at the front of things, albeit, um, you know, we don't always have lots of time, do we? As we've said, uh, <laughs> trying to run the business. <laughs> uh, I like to do I like to do a bit of reading. So um, during lockdown, I've read a couple of kind of business books. So read the latest Matthew Side ones, which I think are interesting. So Rebel Ideas and Black Box Thinking, and mm-hmm. they're very thought provoking. The Black Box Thinking ones, you know, and I won't do it justice, but I'll I'll give it a go. <laughs> um, so if you, if you've not read it, Black Box Thinking is about the black box flight recorders in aeroplanes, right? And the fact that when they started to look and analyze the data 
then asked the pilots in terms of what had happened, what they found is that people weren't particularly open in reporting things. So near misses in a in a plane with another plane or when they were landing. Yeah. Because of the fear of what would happen. So if I've had a near miss in a plane, it must be I'm a bad pilot, therefore you're going to stop me, you're going to fire me, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So, so what they found was when the culture became more more open, actually, guess what? Near misses went down, incidents went down because people were more interested in finding out why it happened and coming up with a solution than kicking the person that had it. So that, yes. that, that's a really interesting um, thought process as you run your own business of you know, how do we learn from what we've done and fix it or make it better rather than hang someone up on the wall and say, well, it's your fault. Don't do it again. Da, 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 da. Yes. Yeah. Um, interesting. Rebel Ideas was interesting because that's about, about surrounding yourself with people that think differently from you. So mm. we, we tend to, we tend to naturally navigate to people that are like-minded. So you end up with a lot of self-reinforcing beliefs because everybody agrees with you. Yes. So it's, it's about that. Have some people that may be seen as disruptors, maybe have controversial different views, but what you'll find is you end up in a much better place because it drives the, the thought process and conversation further and harder Mm. Rather than just everybody going, oh, great idea, well done, and it's kind of got some obvious holes in it, but because everybody's like-minded, they can't see it. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. And the last one I've just read was "Give and Take" by Adam Grant, and that that's really interesting because it talks about there's two types of people: givers and and takers, and is which one's it better to be, and what are the long-term long-term benefits of being one or the other? And as, as ever with these things, you flip between the two types but um if anybody's looking for a good business at stroke self-reflective book yeah give and take by adam grant is is interesting and it's interesting at the end to kind of try and work out which which one you are yeah i think i've read it when you said it i was thinking mm, have i read it if i'm if if i am thinking um correctly about it you will tell if i did read it or not isn't it where he's sort of in effect saying you sort of assume that you should be a giver because that's what people um, would say sounds like the most you know I suppose generous person to be but actually if you're not in a um, frame of mind of taking things of asking for things then you don't necessarily move things forwards properly anyway so that's why you're going backwards and forwards from what you've just said is that is that right yeah. is that, that sort of principle yeah pretty much so yeah. there's people that that take all the time so what's in it for me yeah there's kind of people that give and take so if I do this for you will you do this yeah. for me yeah and then there's givers who say you know here's a million pounds don't worry about it yes yeah and it's about yeah. that skepticism of is it really giving me a million pounds and do I want anything for it surely there's some payback further down the stream yeah yeah so it yeah it's it, it's interesting because certainly from a business context it helps you understand how people perceive those different types of, uh, of individuals yes yeah yeah uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think, did I read it or did I read the Blinkist version? <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's a worthwhile read. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. So last couple of questions then. Um, firstly, what about all those on those days where it goes horribly wrong? How do you deal with those? I would say jump out the window, but the office is on the ground floor, so that doesn't work. It's not very far to jump. Um, I don't know. I think it's difficult because it, it does have a habit of... Um, rolling over into outside of work stuff, if that makes sense, because it, yeah. it plays on your mind. I think I've got a lot better personally in probably the last two years of 
perspective. So it, is it the end of the world? Um, how do we fix any problems? I, th- I think that's what people want, isn't it? There's, there's never a clear path in anything and nothing's ever perfect. So it's, for me, it's always how you respond if there's an issue or a problem, how you manage that to, to a resolution. Mm. So, uh, yeah, for me, it's about that perspective thing. You know, there's, there's greater things at play than work as well. So that perspective of there's bigger things outside of work that, that make a bigger difference. Mm. And then being really kind of understanding and clear of how you put that right, what things you need to do to, to make it better. Um, within the boundaries of what you can control. Sometimes there's just stuff you, you can't control mm. um, or didn't foresee. And, and we don't have too many of those. Some of it is, I probably learned it quite early in my retail career, if you if you strive for excellence and you meet very good, that's all right. If you strive for good and it's okay, that's not brilliant. And if you strive for okay, it's normally not great. So mm. if you have high standards for yourself and, and for what, people do and what you want to deliver if you fall slightly short it's normally not that bad no yeah good point thank you and then the last one is about what about those days when you get to live more and that's where I talk about getting to do more of the stuff that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do what do those days look like for you uh normally got football involved somewhere um, I would say. So not so great at the moment then. <laughs> Although no, is that watching well, it as well? Because it's back, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's back. So we're, we're getting there. So uh, I coach um, the kids' football team. So uh, right. the, most of the, the boys since they were eight and then now um, we're coming up 15. So yeah. there, there's been, you know, ones around the edge that come in and out. So yeah, love doing that. They're a, they're a good bunch. And um, yeah, one of my ambitions in life was probably never to manage a bunch of kids. Being a, being a teacher would probably be one on the on the list of jobs that um, I really wouldn't be something that suited me, but uh, yeah, I've learned a lot actually about myself and they're, they're a good bunch. So that, that's good. Spending time with the family, walking the dog, doing a bit of exercise, uh, a bit, bit of work thrown in. So my, I'm best when I'm busy is the reality. My, when I'm not busy, I really struggle with stuff to do. So mm-hmm. I need to be doing something. So being busy, um, yeah, family, football, dog, gym or doing some uh, some activities uh, alongside work I class that in there as well I think it's healthy it challenges your mind it keeps you busy it's we're always trying to solve problems which is always interesting so mm-hmm. uh, probably a, a balance of a bit of work then something to eat maybe do the gym and then sport or football or family time so mm-hmm. yeah a, a mixture if, if you said kind of out to have a week of doing nothing on a desert island that would probably be my idea of madness <laughs> Yeah, that's another radio show, so don't worry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny when you talk about the football thing. My husband keeps starting conversations with me at the moment going, I know you're probably not interested, but... And then proceeds to tell me the whole football latest update. And I and he's right, I'm not interested. I keep having to say to him, if you feel the need to start a sentence with, you're probably not interested. Yeah, <laughs> then, then you're right and don't. <laughs> yeah, there's a clue in the first bit of that sentence in there exactly it's like his mum lives next door and she's a real football fan so I'm like just go and tell your mum it'll be fine have that conversation over there excellent (laughs) lovely thank you Simon it's been great talking to you tell people how they can find out more about you and connect with you yeah so uh, on LinkedIn so you can find me on on LinkedIn and then we've got the the Rethink website so uh, rethinkproductivity.co.uk happy to have a chat with people we're not kind of a a sales organization so happy to give some advice or if people want to find out more then yeah get in touch Brilliant. Thanks, Simon.
Cheers. Thanks, Joe. Stop feeling stuck and overwhelmed. Join Power to Live More Calm membership today and make an investment in your future. The Power to Live More Calm membership is designed for coaches and consultants struggling with the pressures of running a home-based business. You get access to our supportive community, including weekly Zoom calls, accountability, learning materials teaching you online marketing, audience building, income generation, and all sorts of other things you need to run your home-based business with ease, along with materials like templates, checklists, and planners to keep you motivated, organised, and productive. To learn more about the Power to Live More Calm membership programme and apply, visit powertolivemore.com slash get calm. Use your power to live more.